Hi, I'm Julia. And I'm Sam. And you're listening to the 29 Hour Podcast. This week we talked to musical theater actor Tori Houston Ellum. Here it is. Things like this always make my fraud complex like rear its oh, ugly head. And, girl, I'm and with so you. After last night, too, I'm just like, uh, why? Because I don't, I, you know, I, I think of myself as sort of like nobody. I'm not, I'm nobody. I understand. And so I, you know, I do a concert like last night where it's people I've known for a decade and everyone is so appreciative and people are so kind and I don't know how to take a compliment without seeming like an arrogant prick and because I can't take it. So I just kind of go like, thank you. (laughs) I feel you so hard. I, the same thing happened to me this week. I, a friend asked me to do a table read of his show. And he's going to listen to this if we put this in the <laughs> podcast. Oh God! And um, I was like, cool, it's a table read. It's casual, whatever. And I show up and like the first four people I see are like multiple Broadway credits. I was like, Always. what am I doing here? Oh, every time. But I, like, I think I'm trying to learn how to like reframe it in my brain to not be like, I don't belong here to be like, no, I was invited to be here. And I like they asked me to be here. So mm-hmm. I I do belong here. Isn't it so funny, too? And I listened to you tell me legit the same circumstances that I just talked about. Yeah. Or not the same, but like the, virtually the same kind of circumstance where you find yourself in a room full of people where you're like, one of these things is not like the other. But you say it to me and I look at you and I, having seen you work and how much I respect you, all I want to do is like tell you you're wrong and you're fantastic and you of course deserve to be there but uh, but uh, when it's, it's the, the same reverse, for me for you when, <laughs> exactly when it's the reverse situation it's so hard to hear it yeah even when it's really sincere yeah and i i don't know where that comes from and i'm really envious of people that don't have that problem yeah. although i think that they are truly few and far between because yeah. most of the people i know in the business that are working and doing well i mean i feel like everyone has trouble taking the compliment and yeah. accepting that they belong where they are in any I'm given curious. moment have you seen other examples out in the wild of people sort of being graciously self-confident like do we even have models of what that looks like I've, I've seen a couple of people once every now and then i'll meet someone who just exudes confidence and seems like they really belong where they are and with what they're doing but because for the record <laughs> like a I think you guys belong in every room. But B, I've never gotten the read off of either of you guys. I mean, granted, I'm not in very fancy rooms, so maybe I'm not in the rooms where that vibe comes off. But, like, I don't think either of you read as unconfident. I think that that's a carefully crafted <laughs> front, for me at least. Because yeah. I, like, and I, I mean, both, both, like tours that I've done, most of the jobs that I've done that somebody would put in air quotes as professional or, or in any way on any sort of upper level, please. I can't, there's no way to describe it that makes any sense. I've never been on Broadway and so I'm not a Broadway performer. And that stings. Ooh, it stings. It is. I was talking with my friend about this last week that like when it, it's hard to feel like you belong when you don't have when when you haven't achieved mm-hmm. the thing that makes people go oh you know what i mean yeah oh you're and a broadway like, actor yeah and like i was doing a reading and you know over half the cat like the woman who played my mom has like 10 broadway credits like the woman who played my love interest has three broadway credits mm-hmm. 
and like I'm also here in this room but for some reason within me there feels like this divide between me and them uh-huh. even though I don't think for them those two people in particular I don't think for them they are feeling that same divide like apart from me because for them it doesn't register because no. they already have that under their belt so they don't have to think about that anymore yeah and I and the other thing I was trying to remind myself to say is that nobody has ever made me feel that way right no right. one I've ever worked with has ever held it over my head yeah. that I'm mi- act- no no one has ever it's done fully that all in it's my completely own my own bullshit yeah is what it is and it's funny, and I and last night again we keep talking about. So I did this concert last <laughs> night of Peter Mills and Kara Reichel's "The Flood" to benefit uh, people, survivors of the hurricane situation down in Puerto Rico. Uh, but it was me and like Ben Fankhauser and all, you know, Aaron Ramey and all these people that have some Broadway credits. And at the end of the night, we had this little party, and I was talking to Ben, and he's so down to earth and crazy talented and just a great person and and that's he was sort of saying the same thing he's like how have you not been like how have you not been yeah doing and i was i just i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the magical answer is and he's like just keep going just keep trying and you know hopefully something will come that's the real rub of it is that there is no uh riddle there's yeah, no there's magical no uh, recipe for yeah. the success yeah if broadway is the thing it's but I wonder, so much luck. I wonder, th- my, doing this reading I'm just talking about, my friend like gave me this pep talk. And I think it, it is, this is what I'm, this is my current theory, is that it, it does have a lot to do with mindset. Mm. And like getting yourself to a place where you can flip that switch in your brain and say, no, I do belong here. And not only that, but like, for, for me, it's like, I feel scared to like ask people for help in the industry. And she was like, why? You belong here. Uh, All you have to do is know you belong here and know that people want to help you. And I was like, wait, what? And it took her with her three Broadway credits and someone I like fully trust and respect and admire to say it to me for me to start considering it, you know? Hmm. (sighs) What kind of help? What what, what do you mean? Oh, like... uh, well, let me like dive into all of my personal business. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I'm ready for like, uh, like good representation, like an agent who is a good fit with me. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that is very hard to just like fall into. Yeah. <laughs> I feel. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, make a concerted effort to like pursue that, like, like, um, for real. Yeah. So um that kind of help <laughs> no I, yeah i understand that yeah. i i've been with my agents f- since my like college showcases when i met them mm. and that's been great they are uh, fantastic and they work we work really well together but there's also like a deep-seated fear in me that if they ever drop me or if it if our relationship should come to a close how on earth would i ever find another agent because I have no idea how to go about that. Sure. I don't know anyone else really because I've been working with them for 10 plus years. So we've all, <laughs> everyone's got their fears. Yeah. Man. Ah, it's a scary business. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's so, it's so funny to hear you talk about this because like from where I'm sitting, like you have had a very successful career. Like, like seeing someone with two like first national tour credits on the resume is like, 
nothing to sneeze at, you know? No, it's not. I, 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 again, I think, again, we, we, we spoke briefly earlier about me having a fraud complex. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I mean when I mention that yeah. is, uh, on paper, I know that that's great. I know that it's good that I had these jobs and that it proves that I can do a longer running show and whatever it says to someone on paper. But for some reason, that Broadway glass ceiling still makes me feel like I should kind of shake it off and, and shrug my shoulders at it a little bit. Like, yeah. it's it's a great achievement, but there's always a but. Yeah. So do you feel like... Like that you were like chasing, like in how you go about managing your career now, do you feel like you were chasing specifically Broadway? First of all, I had an internal chuckle when you said how you're managing your career, (laughs) because I really feel like I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, I... I'm always chasing the Broadway. I grew up on Long Island, so I've been see- I've been going to theater and standing at stage doors to get autographs since I was maybe eight. I mean, I have just went through my playbook collection to get rid of a lot of stuff and found all these signed playbills and mm-hmm. brought back a lot of memories. And I, that is the dream, you know. And yeah. maybe that'll change if I ever get there, but I don't think so. Just based on how this last tour felt, how how good it feels to be in like a long running production that's really good for my my soul that's interesting why it's not obvious to me why being in something long running feels better I think because it gives me speaking just for myself it gives me the opportunity to really get comfortable in it and know what I need to do to sort of maintain my energy and my body and my voice and and to sort of prove things to myself I mean for example my first tour so I did the Adams Family maybe in 2011 I think that was um, and I was a swing so I was covering all eight of the ensemble members and two of the principals or something like that and I was only on if somebody was sick or injured and that was a whole other set of challenges because yeah. I am not a dancer and that's <laughs> a, there's a whole tango in that show it was very uh. scary um, and that proved to me that I could learn that kind of movement and memorize that many tracks and and take on those sorts of elements and then with Finding Neverland I was so scared that I was going to be the one calling out all the time because I think of my voice as really fragile Mm. I get tired easily you know it takes a lot of uh, rest and water and steam to to keep up and I had these nightmare thoughts that I would just be the one that everyone kind of looked at with the side eye like oh she's out again oh god here she is what is she even out for and meanwhile I'm the one who called out the least I never never and now that's not I don't want to call that a point of pride because I mean if you're sick call out if you're injured call out like that's what you have sick days for and there were definitely times when I had busted ribs and should not have been doing the show but uh I definitely proved to myself that I could navigate a long running show and what that and that gave me a different sort of brand of confidence in myself in that way yeah uh and I just like knowing what I'm gonna do every day (laughs) and I hate to say it but that I'm gonna have health insurance Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. my paycheck's gonna be pretty much the same every week and there's a comfort there and Mm -hmm. I, I I thrive with that I do well with that that makes total sense. Sam, I'm thinking about you hearing about yeah, the stress of taking care of yourself. Yeah, and honestly, I had th- the show I just did with Julia, like I had I approached it with a similar fear of like, 
is this going to be too much for my voice to handle? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to, and we didn't have understudies in that production. So, so I had to like bear the fear of that very, very deeply. And it was also a similar thing where like, I ended up feeling completely fine with my voice the whole way through. And I definitely did like take very good care of myself, <laughs> but like l- having that experience under my belt and learning that I could do it did really like affect my confidence in a very positive way. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I think until you do it, until you're put in a situation where you have to, there there's definitely going to be fear there. Yeah. Although I think there's going to be fear anytime, especially yeah. in a show where there's no understudies. That's yeah. just a whole other level of scary. Yeah, I did a show in the city uh, a number of years ago where we didn't have understudies and we were in a tiny theater with like holes in the ceiling and everyone got sick and I was <sighs> in a role where I never left the stage and I got so sick we had to cancel the show after act one oh my god because it, it was just impossible oh they had to god. cancel i've never felt so bad in my life and so i had that hanging over my head and then i also did a show one of my first shows uh way back when i was just out of college i was the only person from out of town and i was performing in in a part of the country where uh pollen was very high and i didn't know at the time that i had acid reflux oh and so i was losing my voice and dealing with all this crap and well, there's there's a whole tale that goes along with with that particular experience, but there had been a lot of what I thought of as evidence in yeah. my history mm. that yeah. I would not be able to right. maintain a show. Yeah, and so it was nice to do a job where I felt like I really could, and yeah. I I sort of unlocked a door there. That's also something that since. At like my stage of the game in writing, I'm not doing anything that gets a long run. I haven't had to think about like reproducibility. Like when we were doing Loneliest Girl mm. in San Diego and we wrote a new song and Sam had to say to us, you know, like, we're going to be doing this for whatever five weeks. If it's going to go this high and be this long, I don't think we can add it to the score. Mm. And it's like you never <laughs> have She's to telling think the world about, about my mini meltdown. I, oh. It was like, I, to me, it felt like a meltdown. They gave me this new song a week and a half before the first preview. And I was in rehearsal room, like learning it. And I was like freaking out that like they're adding more material for me to sing. And like, <laughs> it, it, it on, in, in this case, it honestly had nothing to do with the actual material being presented to me. And just like the fact that it was being added to something mm-hmm. I was already scared of. No, yeah. Totally. Yeah. But it is something that I feel like if you're just doing like, if what most of what you do is concerts without even character continuity, you can just go so long without having to think about yeah. a human might in theory mm. in our dream be doing this every day for weeks and weeks and is yeah. that possible yeah yeah i mean think about uh, you know i mean even something like wicked where they have certain alphabets that only go on and do six or seven shows a yeah. week and there's huh. people that have designated days that they go on because these roles are written and maybe it's not possible for everyone to do all eight shows a week and that's up to the actor and the producers to yeah. navigate and negotiate and figure out. And I personally, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. I, I took my niece to see Wicked uh, maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, to her first Broadway show. She's Aww. eight. And I know um, Jessica Vosk, who's currently playing Elphaba, and she's phenomenal. But she had a concert that she was doing uh, up at the Tanglewood, I think she was doing. And so her standby, Marianne Torres, was on, who I also know and who is also phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not kidding. Nobody in that audience would have known yeah. known to say boo about it because she's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm a f- 
firm believer in standbys and swings and understudies and the people that that keep the show swimming. So anything that gives them an opportunity to shine is fine by me. And that's not just because I've been a swing and an understudy a lot of times. <laughs> it's just. Do you think that you get that work more because you pick up music so quickly? Ooh, um, I don't know because I've, I maybe if it was people that knew me mm-hmm. because in an audition people aren't going to be able to tell my study ethic they're not going to know although I was actually just yesterday talking to someone who was talking about playing auditions and it was a fun home audition he was playing and he was saying I probably played changing my major to Joan 80 times only one person saying this one bar correctly the mm. thing about the <laughs> dementedly high interest loan or whatever I wonder if on the cast album it's different because a lot of people oh, will listen to the cast album and learn based off of those choices Mm-hmm. That happened to me recently. Some audition I had, I'm not going to specifically name it, but the p- person on the cast album was singing a different uh, track than what was actually printed in the music. And I huh. went in and learned what was actually on the page, and I sent a voice memo of it to my friend who had been a rehearsal accompanist for the original and he was like mm, you need to listen to that bar again I was like mm, you need to look at them both <laughs> he was like my bad oh my god but I, I don't know I, I I I do pick up music quickly I also I I don't know I don't know if that would affect me getting a job I think it definitely plays well once I have the job mm-hmm. being able to learn things quickly it also oftentimes means like picking up a lot more responsibility than otherwise I might have had how so I mean with Neverland we had you know all sorts of swings and stuff but that is a dance heavy show so Mm -hmm. our our we only had one female swing and she was a dancer and now she can sing but she's not a high high soprano and so when our high soprano would get sick for a while we didn't have anyone really covering the high B flat B C and D which I'd never sung before in my life and then they pulled a bunch of us into a room they were like someone has to have these notes Hmm. and they kind of had us all sing through it and they were like well you got them so whenever she was out it fell to me to pick up those notes which was another sort of fun aha opening a door moment that I'd never sung that high in my life and now we are talking like Phantom of the Opera level high like I mean not an E Phantom isn't like an E or an E flat but but I mean like real like double ledger line high yeah wow it's like high high c is a double ledger line i think so i think that's where you hit yeah yeah that's the last note in the show golly golly (laughs) yeah wait so i couldn't do it don't ask me to do it right now kind of a swing (laughs) in the ensemble because on any given night you might have had to sing this this other line i mean let's let's be fair it was really more just picking up the top notes at like the ends of songs okay. and where the high soprano note would really stand out gotcha. is when I was there was like four or five moments it wasn't that big of a deal but it's very obvious if you screw it up because <laughs> <laughs> it's real high um but yeah I guess you could say I sort of like swung into high soprano land once or twice but it's not this not the same as being like a true internal swing yeah sure of course my my roommate on tour was Lael Van Kieran who if if you're listening to this and you don't know who that is for shame because <laughs> she's the greatest human um she was truly like an internal swing in the cast so she played miss jones then she covered sylvia mrs de maurier mary she picked up all sorts of stuff and then when she left the tour because she was tired and was ready to go home and and then a couple months later they brought her back to replace the <gasps> woman who'd been playing sylvia so uh-huh. she took over the lead uh, uh-huh. she's just my dream human mm. <laughs> i love her so much but yeah, that that to me was some real internal swinging, and there's like nothing you can't throw at her, and she dances. It's rude. Wow. 
Um, I'm kind of cu- thus ends my like public service <laughs> announcement about <laughs> the brilliance of Lil Ben Kieran. Okay. I'm kind of curious. This is a thing. I'm kind of curious uh, to hear you talk about like the transition of getting off a tour or like a regional gig and getting back into New York because this is a thing that I always struggle with. Like figuring, negotiating that. Yeah, you're catching me at like the worst possible time for that question because I (laughs) hate sort of the aftermath. Yeah. And it's been probably five months since we closed Neverland. Mm -hmm. So I've been basically unemployed and surviving and and in the interim. And I. And doing super fancy concerts. I mean, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Um, It. Let me organize my thoughts. I had such a good time on Neverland and I felt so good about myself and the work that I was doing, which is not to say that, and I need to really emphasize the fact that like I was in the back row, (laughs) just park and barking, like doing the least amount of work of any female in that ensemble, truly just holding down the harmonies and very very little very few moments that you would go oh there she is you know I was in the I was truly in the ensemble we were like a big amorphous group and but but I was so proud of the work we were doing and I was very proud of myself and the things that I'd accomplished and it felt so good and then to come home and come home sort of at the tail end of audition season at all Mm -hmm. into this sort of lull in the summer is really hard because there's not much to audition for. And then all the things that I have been auditioning for, I've not booked even, and some of them were really great opportunities. And most of them went to people I know who I am thrilled for and who were better for the, better for the position. And I totally understand, but I think I'm just really hungry for that feeling again to feel like I'm part of something as opposed to going home and selling my furniture and <laughs> in the hopes that I'll be able to eat something. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like for, for like, I had a similar feeling that I, I came back to the city maybe a month or two after you riding super high mm-hmm. on the work I had been doing. And like, I had even like for the last week or two out of town, I, I was like mentally preparing myself to like ride that wave back into the city. And I just hit a wall when I got back oh God, yeah. and it's just like, I, it's it feels like two completely distinct worlds a little bit and then you've got the people who no matter how long it's been since your job ended they think oh well you just got back and Mm -hmm. they tell me how it was and all this and meanwhile it's been five months and i and it's that again it's that fraud feeling of like i feel the need to correct people like no no I've been back and doing nothing (laughs) right? and there is nothing special about me and nothing special about anything that's happened in the last couple months. That's, and again, it's that, it's that feeling of like needing to let everyone else see how small I can be or how I can feel. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. Why do I feel the need to do that? I wish I had an answer for I you. I know. It's I so feel the stupid. need to like tell the listeners like how special I think you are uh-huh. as yes. a performer. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and also to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, here's the part where I sit here awkwardly <laughs> unable to take a compliment. Everyone <laughs> listening to this is going to hate me. They're going to And it's <laughs> it's actually really surprising to Impossible. me to hear you say that you feel like your voice is fragile because from where I'm sitting, like I think you're the like one of the most consistently like 
like your voice is one of the most consistent that I've ever heard. Like consistent every time I hear you versatile. sing. Yeah. Yeah. I. We I did get, a concert together where you were sick and you sounded perfect. Oh, that's right. I was really sick. You were that very day. sick and you sounded perfect. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't like to watch the videos of things, but I watched that one because I was so. And when I when I get sick or nervous about something I get very chatty and I, and I want to <laughs> apologize for myself all the time you probably remember because I was probably talking to you at lightning speed <laughs> about how I'm just I'm really I can't I don't know oh my god what's gonna happen and then you go out there and you do it and it's fine and I, l- I watch the video and I think oh it was okay I sound a little stuffed up it's n- it's not terrible it could have been way worse uh and I I think it all comes back to just being in a long line of really anxious people like anxious depressive (laughs) chemically imbalanced Mm. folk Mm. and you know that's been another whole battle that i've that's been raging but that's been better too i don't have i seen you since i uh i um during rehearsals for neverland which were really hard that was like a really tough exhausting rehearsal process i had my annual physical right in the middle because I knew I was going to be gone for at least a yeah. year and I needed to get that done. I walked into my doctor's office and he's like, how you doing? And I just like burst into tears, <laughs> just oh. sobbing. And he just like wrote all these prescriptions. And so I started taking antidepressants uh-huh. for the first time ever. And I'd been fighting against being medicated since I was in college mm. because I thought, how will I be an actor if I can't feel things? Mm. That was, that was my biggest concern. And it was for me personally it was completely unfounded because i'm on such a low dose of like a generic zoloft and i I don't think that it i think that i'm still as emotionally available as i was it's just the lows are not quite so low um and the the panic is still there but not quite as debilitating so that's that's been like a great discovery for me in the last two years yeah that's a really nice way of looking at it that it's not like you're losing any colors but maybe like the darkest shade is not as dark and i also acknowledge that i really lucked out in that the first thing that we tried felt good Mm -hmm. and i know that for a lot of folks that's not the case like you have to try a bunch of different cocktails and there's a whole figuring out the levels and the dosage and this one didn't work for me that one made me cloudy this one does this Mm -hmm. and that and that's very real and it's not for everybody I've I have a friend who doesn't like the feeling of medication and so she is up at the crack of dawn every day to like run do like marathon running and goes to talk therapy religiously and that's how she manages that sort of aspect of things um I don't I think people forget sometimes when you're an actor that you're also a real person (laughs) I don't I don't know exactly what I mean by that but but it's true unless you're in the business and you know what it means to to hide behind being somebody else all the time people think that you're sort of this infallible walking meat puppet that just does it Mm -hmm. and does it well you have the ability to turn it on yeah even when you're feeling you're always completely horrible and you're like walking through a room full of people that barely know you and you have to put on the face and smile and remember people's names and and do the thing and and then you go home to your empty apartment and the life problems that have made you feel terrible for 10 years and all these things and they're still there and you have to acknowledge them and find a way to balance your real life and your performative life and that's sort of been a constant struggle does the performative part feel like an escape from that at all sometimes yeah sometimes it's really great 
and especially with a show like Finding Neverland where it's so explosively energetic and happy mm. and there's so many bright colors and I get to wear a glittery fishtail <laughs> like it was what a great time you know but I mean even doing shows that aren't that sort of way it can be a real release to just go out there and have feel all the feelings shake them all out and then okay I did that that's done now I don't need to go be a wreck for a while mm -hmm. until the next time <laughs> you're looking at Sam is looking at me <laughs> like he's got a lot of thoughts no I'm just I'm just I'm just taking it in just taking it in yeah we went deep we like yeah we've only been doing this for half an hour and and we're, we're already into like mental health and <laughs> it's not something we've talked much about really on the podcast. since i did we maybe talk about it in episode one yeah i think a little since. bit yeah with emily right yeah, yeah yeah who i just ran into the other day she's amazing oh, I love she's her so wonderful much. she's doing the tour yeah, come yeah. Away, which i was this close to that was my biggest heartbreak this year mm. <sighs> yeah i wanted mm. that you would be great in that show. so bad i wanted it so bad which track for Bonnie, the one who rescues the bonobo chimpanzees, mm -hmm. <gasps> and oh. yeah, it wasn't meant to be, but I would have loved that job. I love that show. Go see that yeah. show. Yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it so much. I just saw it recently, and it was like everything that it was built up to be. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, and I, I mean, listen, I am a big fan of a one act mm -hmm. i love i love it when you can give me all those ups and downs in an hour and a half yeah and that that show is just so unlike anything else i'd seen before and it just hits all the emotional beats and man can they sing and it just i i loved it so much i actually ha had to fly home our last week of tour for that final callback i oh missed like the first time i missed a couple shows in a row really was to fly home for that i missed our closing night party <laughs> like oh. it was a whole thing but you know it was fine i i would have regretted it more and not showing up yeah yeah so when you get to like that stage of like you're at a final callback for this huge thing if it doesn't go your way do they give you feedback as to why, and is that ever helpful? I don't think I've ever gotten feedback as to why I didn't book something. So frustrating. I don't. I don't. I mean, unless I knew people in in the in the room, maybe then I could yeah. ask. But I don't think I've ever asked. I I usually, for me, I usually kind of figure it out for myself when mm -hmm. I see who got it. Mm -hmm. I can usually go, oh, okay, so they they were looking for someone a little more X Y Z. Uh huh. Or someone who really needed to dance, and I don't really, I don't, I'm not a big dancer. I, I move very well, but I'm not a dancer. So if you want someone who kicks their face and does a triple turn, <laughs> they're not going to bang down my door. Um, and I usually give myself 24 to 48 hours to feel really, really bad about it and to think about it a lot and to let all the songs still play out in my head. <sighs> and then after that, you move on. And now I'm at a point now where I can run into my friends that did book that tour and feel elated for them and so excited that they're going to tour the country on, on this journey. And yeah. it's going to be beautiful and make so many people happy, you know? This is helpful for me, too. I just auditioned for something in improv world that mm. did not go my way. <laughs> and <laughs> it is, yeah, like like thinking about like what could I have done better like why is this happening to me I think it's Ugh. good to like put a time box on like now I should just stop thinking about yeah. that yeah and it's it's not even like I I tell myself okay 24 hours from now you will no longer think about this I I think it's just sort of the natural ebb and flow of of that feeling because I don't and especially since starting the antidepressants I I really try not to allow myself to sit 
in the bad feelings too much because that is that's my tendency mm-hmm. if if I'm having a bad day my tendency is to break out the non-dairy ice cream <laughs> and the romantic comedies set in high school themes and just feel awful for 24 hours like and you I, think that's not a good thing to do because for me I don't I, even call that sitting in it I call that like trying to like treat yourself nice to like get out of it yeah but you probably watch the movies and like smile and and feel fairly good about it at the end I am sobbing through the whole thing and go to bed crying and have nightmares and like mm-hmm. don't like just physically not good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my roommate once said he is like I don't know who I when I again once I started to take care of myself and he said I used to not know who I was coming home to because huh. I'd either be on the couch like hey come watch this with me or I would just be like staring sort of mm. blankly at the screen you know there's yeah, just yeah, a yeah. really different everyone has their thing you know everybody has their thing that they really dive into that's maybe negative for them and mine is certain emotional depths I'll just let I just go right into the woes and start planning a whole life of sadness it's bad hmm. but I mean not that I'm doing that now I'm well I'm pretty good right now I'm sitting <laughs> in this great room and God, this is a really dark episode I'm okay. sorry let's talk about something happy you know what I want to talk about please you one of I think the first time maybe I ever saw you perform was in a show that I'm obsessed with which is Hidden Sky <laughs> that was the show that we had to cancel a couple because I got really sick. <sighs> That's the one. And that was one of my favorites. Again, Prospect Theater Company. Mm-hmm. This was a show based on a short story by Ursula K. Le Guin, may she rest in peace, mm-hmm. um, that was about a sort of post-apocalyptic futuristic world in which math and science had been outlawed and... Uh, everybody operated with only Roman numerals and the only sort of uh, not, not our, uh, mechanics that they had were these steam engines. And so there were the, quote, masters whose job it was to understand Roman numerology and to be able to fix these steam engines. That was their whole life's purpose. And so I played Ganeel, who at the start of the play has studied her whole life to become a master and to join this group of elite, knowledge-filled people that this group that she's always wanted to be a part of and she gets in there and she starts to teach all the other up-and-coming masters and it's so unfulfilling because she's sort of hit the glass ceiling of Mm -hmm. what there is to learn and in the course of the play she meets this underground group of people they call them seekers that are sort of rediscovering the fundamentals of math and science like gravity and why this why the earth is spinning to watching the sun rise and fall um it's called the hidden sky because also something happened in the past due because of math and science and all of our technology had sort of destroyed the earth and there is a cloud of ash above the whole sky and they call it the hidden sky and everybody uh the religion is based on the sun so whenever the ashes in the sky would clear and the sun would appear people would basically drop to their knees in prayer and it was like this whole thing so do 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 play happens and it's all this really stunning music by so, Peter Foley. So beautiful. Sam, do you know this score? No, I don't. Oh I was my. gonna say this is gonna become your new favorite. You yeah, are gonna it lose sounds your right mind. up my alley. Um uh, I'm I love Peter Foley so oh much. Oh my goodness. Man, do I love this score. Yeah. It 
it he, he worked mathematics into it and all the chords are just really so wait oh. i don't know that oh, you need to, i don't even remember you got to talk to him because so much of it was i mean just the chord structure of it the way everything fit together and just so beautiful and so there was a whole section there's a 20 minute sequence in act two where Ganil has sort of holed herself up underground and she is truly rediscovering the fundamentals of how math and science are combined and what to her is the way in which those things are also God uh, meaning um, the sort of like the golden spiral and Fibonacci sequence and Pascal's triangle and the way that all, the whirl of the golden spiral is the same sort of ratio as the whirl of people's ears, the whirl of your fingertip, how many petals are on flowers. It all matches these sequences and these And having these ideas like mutualized in this beautiful oh way, you God. really feel like the it, holiness of this stuff. Yes. And for 20 minutes, there's this chord that plays. So it's just this one held chord. And from there spawns all these other songs and bits and pieces. And it all comes together in this moment where she's she has drawn the golden spiral which look it up you, you've seen it before mm -hmm. uh and she starts singing about oh what like i i have seen the face of god uh one one light there is one foundation the, my favorite lyric was praise god for my longing heart praise god for my sacred part in the infinite art and it was Sam's jaw is dropped <laughs> right now. It was just such a beautiful yeah. thing, and and we all just kind of sang it straight up, looking at the balcony, and like it was such a feeling of community. And I was so moved by the whole. Sh I actually didn't wear it today, but I have a necklace that is a golden golden spiral, <gasps> and I I think of that show a lot, even though it was such a hard experience with like physically and because we were performing in that theater that was that at the west it end? was up on 86th yeah, yeah yeah which is a great space but we were yeah. doing it in like february and one of the like six windows up at the top was broken so oh there was no. always a cold breeze <gasps> and but what was neat about that space is it's this giant dome and so they were projecting things all over the place and there was a big spiral staircase that she ex that i exited on in the end and and it's a big space for like a big show like how big is that cast I mean, it's a small space for a. Uh, it's not that big. Um, I guess that's but our, I guess the ceiling. Makes the it ceiling feel big. is huge. Yeah, I mean, if you built like a stacked mm -hmm. set in there, then you'd have plenty of room. But I mean, on the ground, <laughs> we had I don't know, maybe like twenty people yeah. in that company. Wow. It was a big, big choral ensemble, a big like Greek chorus kind of show. Um, I will play for you at some point Please some do. of that because there's the song uh, Wheel in the Engine, oh, that so song. Beautiful. That's in my book. I sing that sometimes because yeah. it's just... What you sound so gorgeous on that oh, song. Thanks. I listen because I have, I have a bootleg of like the demo or I don't know. Maybe oh, it's the demo is what It I must have. be the demo, yeah, because I was like, I have bootlegs of our production that I got from the soundboard. Oh, yeah, no, I just have the demo, <laughs> but so I listen to you sing that song I, all the time. I cannot believe you saw that. Oh, God, I feel I like nobody it. saw it because we were up on the Upper West Side and it was such a small little thing that happened. And, oh, man, I loved that show. That and Golden Boy were like the two things that, that I did with Prospect that were my just my favorite. Mm. Oh, man, my favorite. Yeah, Prospect has some good stuff. Prospect has been really good to me. Prospect Theater Company. My first show in New York was with them. 
I did. They did a joint sh- uh, production with Nymph way back in like 2007, I think it was 2008. Uh, it was called The Rock Eye, and it was a glam 80s glam rock version <laughs> of The Bach Eye. And so I was wearing like knee high white patent leathers, spike heel stiletto platform boots and my hair was like two inches long and <laughs> it was my first show I did in New York and it was Pete Mills and they had written it halfway as like a joke like hey <laughs> what if we wrote the Bach eye but called it the rock eye ha 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 and then of course he wrote uh. it because it's freaking Pete <laughs> and then we did it and they've called me a couple times every other year every year for almost a decade I've worked and I've done so much with them and they've they've just been the best and that's one thing I, I like talking about on this podcast is like having like an artistic home or like artistic community. Mm. Like, does it feel like that for you? Yeah. I, Prospect definitely feels like home. It's I've just known them for so long and, and they do such beautiful work. I mean, the concert we did last night, The Flood, is a show that I had no part of. The original productions were in like 2002 and 2006. And it's all about the 1993 flooding of the Mississippi River. And I'm still probably a good six years too young for the part that I got to play with the story of my career. Am I right? <laughs> um, but we've d- I've done like three concerts, concert versions of The Flood in the uh-huh. last 10 years. And every, every time we do it, I feel like I unlock another piece of it. I feel like I understand it a little more clearly. And it's such a gorgeous score and a beautiful story and very timely with everything that's going on right now with Japan and it's yeah. and Puerto Rico it it's and Pete wrote a show a year for 10 years a show a year <laughs> wow. and they fully produced them Golden yeah. Boy the Blue Ridge was wow. their 10th year of writing a show a year oh my god and oh. That, it's insane think about that how long it insane. takes to write a musical yeah it's crazy that so insane. if that doesn't speak to their work ethic i don't know what does so can we talk about so like you and i met working on a show where you played my mom yeah (laughs) and you're a couple years older than me yeah barely (laughs) yeah barely so is that is that a thing that does often happen to you all the time like is that because for me it's the opposite i only play teenagers i had this exact same conversation last night too yeah For with right. Yeah, with Ben last night, with oh, Ben Fankhauser, yeah. we sat down. So he did his sound check, and he, I honestly might pull my phone out and like play this riff ah. for you because he busted this. I knew he was gonna do it, and that's why I recorded sound check. <laughs> he, so he sings his little face off, and I throw a shoe at him, and then I walk over, and uh, and I said, I, you know, was just fangirling, and then we were just talking about, you know, how he's definitely older than the character that he's playing, but he still reads that he could be a high school student on, on stage, at least it totally works. And the same for you. You have a really young, joyful, youthful energy about you. And there's just something about you that reads young. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but there is something about me that's the opposite. I have like an older soul. I have, I have the face of a Disney villain. I've got like high cheekbones and tiny lips and <laughs> thin hair. And I just look like I, d- I just feel like I want to object to <laughs> <laughs> this characterization it's true no and I also sort of dress like an extra from the craft so it's <laughs> it is what it is but I I think I'm I'm on the other side of the spectrum yeah. I'm an old soul and I there's I just really understand and connect with these roles especially mothers and and people in that sort of a position I Sometimes I laugh. My mom and I always joke about it. Both tours, I covered the grandmother and went on. I mean, both times. My first couple of auditions coming back from this tour were for roles that were 40s and 50s plus. Yeah. Uh, And I don't 
book most of them because I then you put me in the room with people that actually are the correct age range. And I'm a huge advocate for hiring. I mean, There's so many brilliant actors that are in the proper age range that deserve to work. Yeah. They're they've been they've been slugging it out another 10, yeah. 20 years longer than I have. They they should be hiring appropriately for the jobs not that i don't want the jobs <laughs> i'm on i don't know what soapbox i'm standing <laughs> on right now but well my <laughs> question is like we talked a little about this with dana about like what it does to your brain to constantly have to go back to this like child teenager place mm. but like do you feel how does it feel for you to constantly be asked to sort of like go ahead you know what i mean like i feel or does does do you not think about that no i i definitely do I, I feel old a lot of the time. Like I, I, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm prematurely looking at everyone around me like they're children. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like on this tour, I'm not that much older than anybody that was in the ensemble with me, but hearing people talk about being born in the nineties makes me want to kill myself a little <laughs> bit. And that's not, they're not even that, like it's maybe a 10 year difference, but it feels enormous. And I don't know if it's because I'm so used to playing people that age, playing their parent mm. figure mm. but there's definitely a shift that happens when I have to sort of come back to being myself again yeah and remind myself that oh being in your 30s you're you're not you're not old honey yeah. you're still <laughs> you're doing just fine your knees are working so are your <laughs> hips it's all gonna be fine uh, that also ties into like wh what we were talking about before about my my little hole that I like to crawl into is so often just looking down the tunnel of am I going to be alone forever and why how how am I you know this old and xyz hasn't happened and wow everyone's getting married and having babies and blah, 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 blah. so I think age is sort of a thing that's constantly tapping on my shoulder yeah mm -hmm. that's not really an answer to the question that you just asked at all but it's <laughs> an answer I'm happy to receive <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know I think I'm just used. I'm, I'm definitely used to it at this point. I feel like I yeah. and I even submit myself for stuff that I'm, that I feel like I'm I'm too young for because that's usually what I'll get called in for. Hmm. It's funny. I have two auditions this week that I they're in my bag. My sides. One is for someone listed at like 20s to 30s, and the mm -hmm. other one's listed 40s to 50s. Yeah. So what is my age range? Hmm. I don't know anymore. Yeah. It also know. like reminds me of like when you've said, like. The thing about like, oh, in Finding Neverland, I get to have a glittery tail and Ugh. in Rockus, I get to have like, you know, glitter things yeah. like just thinking about how you even going to auditions, like how you dress yourself Ugh. up and like, who am I presenting right now? I that sounds know. stressful. It is. And I, I, it's funny because I'm trying to really downsize my closet hmm. actively because I'm going to about to move to a new apartment and I it's a lot smaller. So I'm trying to really encapsulate just what I really need. But what I wear in real life. Mm -hmm. uh, is not what I would wear for most of the things that I audition for. I walk around in like dark purple lipstick mm -hmm. and like I'm wearing black and gray all the time and I've got my spiky dots on my nails and all sorts of crap. But then I'm getting called in for the equivalent of like mother and ragtime and you can't show up <clears throat> for a role like that or anything in that sort of genre with black lipstick on. Like, you know, you <laughs> right. have to look appropriate. And so there's like a whole section in my closet that's just clothing just in case. That's that's an I want to ask you a question about this because yeah. like do you for me I sort of feel like all of the characters I play and get asked to play 
are, you know, some variants of like basically me, right? <laughs> like, do you feel very differently? Um, a lot of times. I mean, for example, I went in for Matilda the other day and I always thought I was kind of a Miss Honey type, but I was going in for the Mrs. Wormwood, which is, again, a dancer role. Yeah. I'm like, How am I in this room right now? <laughs> But I so I had to like pull out of my closet a like skin tight leopard dress and some high right. ass heels and this whole outfit that I would never I would never wear that. <laughs> I'm like, why do we even have that? But <laughs> for when a role like that comes up, you know, you have to be able to emphasize their imagination a little bit, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess my question is is more sort of like I don't really know what my question is. No, but you're, it's you're asking more along the lines of... Like, who do you want to be playing? Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, for me, if I got an audition for a role that was really far away from me, it takes so much mental energy for me to see myself getting there that it almost feels not Impossible. even worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think everyone's got some version of that, though. Yeah. Some role or some audition that they've had where you just feel at it, like you're out of your element, Donnie, and just how do you structure your understanding of what that's going to be and what you have to do to prepare i have had i can't even think of anything off the top of my head like that most of mine are just extensions of the 12 archetype characters that i get asked to do like high british snooty and warm and motherly or warm and motherly but sad because the baby's gone like there's like certain (laughs) like archetype character type things that I get asked to go in for a lot which is not to say that they're all the same but there's a sort of undercurrent there that's very similar and there's like a you have you have a familiarity you feel with the material or at least what my idea of that would be and I tend to lean into naturalism and like the emotional center Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. that's sort of where I come add a character and sometimes that's not what they want if they want something that's way more energized and over the top that takes more yeah uh time and preparation for me to sort of break out of the box of being naturalistic yeah yeah do you i so i guess the next line in this question of questions i'm not really (laughs) sure what i mean is uh, have you played characters that you feel are like very similar to who you are as a person um yeah i mean sure definitely yeah i mean did you, did you like like did you like that do you prefer that to you know what i mean like you know i i don't think that i've ever played a character it's funny because i've never played a character that was so like me that it was eerie uh-huh. i've played a lot of characters that have elements of them and i think maybe that's why i get hired for these certain things there's an element to them or there's a specific trait that really resonates with me like with last night with the flood with susan there's just a sarcasm there and there's like a wit and she's very smart she's a history teacher she's really grounded and there's a lot of things about her that that i think are similar to me as a human and maybe that's why it feels like such a good fit. And I, I feel like looking back over, if I had my resume in front of me, I could probably like go down the list and pick out whatever the one thing was for each of those characters that that I clung to or yeah. that, that stuck out for me. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know. It's, I mean, I think 
maybe it's very rare the experience like the experience i had working on gordon and julia's show is like like they played me or they sent me a song and it literally like described an experience i'd had in my life and it it uh in general i i feel like i feel very similar to the character i played like in in multiple arenas of of that character's personality in life and so maybe it's maybe that's just so rare that like it's not worth asking a question about I but don't, i don't know that it's rare i mean i think it's a beautiful thing i think you're yeah. lucky yeah to have oh, that kind of experience totally i don't and i'm gonna kick myself li- i'll probably go home and think of something immediately that that i had a similar experience but i think any time that you can really bring yourself to a character yeah. then then you're going to get to the heart of the vulnerability Mm-hmm. more quickly yeah. faster yeah it's interesting though how actors learn to use the similarities with their life without it getting in the way i had an experience i've done a couple times now developing work with the undergrads at new studio on broadway mm. and like i love that program and those they're so talented but we have had when we've been doing dramaturgy talking about one of the shows and kids were you know bringing up personal experiences they had that were similar to the material and for a moment, getting really hung up on when the material would diverge from their experience, mm. feeling like, I just, why would anyone do that? In my experience, you know, <laughs> feeling depression feels like this and goes this way. And sort of being able to talk through and separate from where it stops being you, but could still be an honest thing. Yeah. yeah. It was an interesting conversation. Ooh, God, that's a good conversation, though. That's yeah. That's so specific. And I think that's such a huge part of... Anytime you approach anything, it's, you're going to have to look at it. You start from what you know. You know you're know. you going to start yeah. from what you know and what you understand. And I think that's what I meant by this sort of whatever the thing is that I grab onto totally. for any character. That's the thing you start with. Yeah. And then from there, you can sort of build based on what you have in the given circumstances as their experiences, what you come up with as their past experiences, and what you build as part of their production. And you create the alternate reality from there i sound like i i I feel like i'm talking very textbook and i i'm really pulling this entirely out of my ass but i mean (laughs) that but but is it like does it it, are you like you're telling the truth though right like from your own experience i think so yeah yeah and it, it sounds like it sounds like perfectly like like i i am hearing you and saying yes totally yeah, I I th- I also think that for me, I mean, I I had a good college experience. I went to class. I was a very like type A, get to, to get an A, go to class, do it right, do it right. Yeah. And so I feel like I didn't really learn how to loosen up and and understand what like acting really felt like until I got to the city and started to work with more directors and work with other actors and see how other people put things together because mm. I was so focused on getting it right mm-hmm. and, and doing it correctly. Mm that I feel like a lot of times I was just a deer in headlights or it was mm-hmm. just yeah. sort of like a blank stare looking yeah. at everybody else, like waiting for trying to build whatever emotional life I thought I was building. Meanwhile, I was like barely present. Right. Because yeah. there's literally n- there, there is no correct way to do it. No. So to try and have that as a goal just shuts everything no, it's ludicrous. off. <laughs> no. Yeah. But I've just, been, I've been there too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and also because it's such a collaborative effort, yeah. 99% of the time, that's why I really love working with 
people who like to talk it out or who mm-hmm. want to try things and or who or or directors who have like a really clear vision of what they're going for but who are still able to go oh you want to try well let's try it let's just roll the dice and see what happens and have the conversation and do the table work and really figure out so we're all on the same page and we're operating from the same starting point so that we can continue to build like it's like pouring the water on the chia pet you know what i mean what is that analogy who am i <laughs> letting things grow yeah organically i you know see you do it nicely <laughs> i just start talking about fucking chia pets <laughs> That's all, Rob.